Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. talk to you about the high cost of a holy anointing. You may not know my background, but my grandparents planted three churches, and one of them was in Alaska. It looks much like that out there. All winter long, we would receive somewhere around four to five inches of snow every year. So I want to talk to you about what it took to plant a church, and I'm not going to reference them too much, but I want you to know in 1960, they piled a bunch of kids in a station wagon, hauling a trailer, and drove all the way to Alaska from Arkansas area. I think it was Texas, but they went up through Arkansas and on over. But my grandfather tells the story that when he got sick and tired of the kids fighting in the back of the car, he would have them get out and walk next to the car on the Alaska-Canadian Highway. He's like, all right, that's it. Everybody out of the car, and they'd have to walk next to the car, and he'd usually make them walk for a mile or two, and then they'd get back in the car absolutely exhausted, and they'd all sleep for the next four hours. So that's how he handled getting to Alaska. And and they had a rough time. I mean, they when they started planning the church there, they they did not have very many people coming. It was like us four and no more. And they had church, and and my grandfather preached, and and um, they rented the train depot in town, and they would have parties the night before. So they would be sweeping up beer bottles, and when we came in to set up the keyboard, it still smelled like the party the night before. You know, um, it smelled like alcohol, and it smelled like smoke, and you know, because they didn't have the kind of things that we have now where people don't smoke in public. They they smoked wherever they wanted to. So it just smelled horrible in there. And so since we had like the smell of a bunch of dead cats going already, we we just kind of came in and toughed it out, you know. You just they were tough people and you had to you had to shovel to get in and sometimes you had to shovel to get out and they still built a church and it's running over 100 people there today in Palmer, Alaska. And I'm thankful for that heritage. Is that okay if I share that with you? That's what it costs. That's the cost of anointing. Um, you have to be willing to do something. So I want to talk to you a little while about that. Um, let's go to Genesis chapter 30. Somehow I managed to get up here without my Bible. So let me grab that. Genesis chapter 30. If you'd stand in honor of the reading of the word. I want to read from an obscure piece of scripture that you may never have had a preacher read from before. But I promise you it'll be interesting to you. And uh, and I know that the Lord's going to bless it. Uh, let's go to Exodus chapter 30. We're going to begin reading at verse number 19. Verse number 19. I managed to put everything over there. Praise God. Aren't you glad for the Holy Ghost? Amen. It was so good to see the Lord moving so greatly at Winter Youth Convention. I'm so excited about what God's doing, and I plan to see more. I came back with a change of heart. I have a fresh anointing in my life on this new year, and I'm grateful for it. And I don't know exactly where that's going to lead, but I know that it's going to lead to some good things. Amen? Praise God. So let's go to Exodus chapter number 30, and we will begin to read. In verse number 19. Are you there? Say amen. All right. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. It's talking about the labor. 
the place to wash their feet and their hands in the tabernacle that was built in the in the wilderness. And when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. God took this very seriously. Amen. And when they came, when they come near to the altar to minister to to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, here we are saying it again, that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed thereafter throughout their generations. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, everyone say myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, everyone say cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and sweet calamus, 250 shekels. And then he said, and take cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of the oil, and of the oil, olive, and hen, which is a certain amount, is about, it's about a gallon. Some say it's about 1.5 gallons, but a hen is of olive oil is about a gallon. And thou shalt make, that'll make more sense later, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment. Everybody say holy ointment. An ointment compound after the art of the apothecary, it shall be a holy anointing oil. Everybody say holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all the vessels, and the candlestick, and the vessels, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar. They started anointing everything with this oil that they made, okay? They made an oil in a craft like this by smashing a lot of different spices in there, and they were to anoint everything in the house of God, amen? Okay, so they did that, and... It even goes on to say in the altar and the burnt offerings and the place where everything took place and they shall sanctify them, verse 29, that they may be holy, most holy. So in other words, they made holy oil and anointed everything which made it most holy because of the anointing, the obedience to God. Whatever touches them shall be holy. So anyone that touches those things then shall be holy. Interesting how that worked. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Let's see, I'm one verse off. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Notice that only the priests were allowed to be anointed by this oil. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be the holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall it make neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it it is holy and it shall be holy unto you you weren't supposed to try to make any of it you weren't supposed to try to reproduce it and you weren't supposed to manufacture wherefore compoundeth any like it and whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people he said if you try to make anything like this and if you put any of this on a stranger you'll be cut off from the people of God Interesting. So I want to talk to you about the high cost of a holy anointing today. Jesus, I ask you to move in this house, move in our hearts. We have a little bit of time here today with you, and I'm asking you to do your work in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I know this may seem a little strange, like not a very interesting or a boring passage of Scripture possibly, but I want you to know that hidden, sometimes tucked in the fold of an obscure Scripture can be a very cool nugget 
of um, truth. And so I want to bring that out to you today and, and show it to you. And it's, it's important that I stress that God is very serious about anything that he sanctifies. Amen? He's very consecrated um, in keeping what he calls holy, holy. And so you don't want to mess with anything that God calls holy. Amen? You don't want to mess with the Holy Ghost because he calls it holy, right? You don't want to make mess with the sanctuary of God because he calls it holy. So in, in the interest of time, I want to share with you what these components are of this holy oil that they would anoint people with. And, and if you don't know what anointing is, it's just the act of applying oil or oily liquids. They did it in the Old Testament when they got a new king. They would dump a, a craft of, or a horn of oil out over the king, and that was anointing him as their new king. And oftentimes their garments that they were anointed in were saturated with that, and then they would keep those garments to remind them of their initial anointing from God. But I want you to know that there is a reference here that is no longer used. It's, it's something that they did in the tabernacle, and we don't necessarily use that. In fact, it says for us not to make something like that. Now we just use olive oil when we anoint somebody. But in the scriptures, it talks about the different kinds of oil and the different kinds of ingredients here. And it even gives a value. Does anybody know how much a shekel is? Anybody study that out ever? You try to figure out how much a shekel was in the Bible? It was an increment that they used for purchasing. And oftentimes in those days, they would weigh their money because they didn't have coins like we do. They didn't have coinage until later on in Jesus's time. But um, they started, the Greeks started making coins and things like that. But the shekel was about, it's about a dollar and 90, about $2-ish, right in that area. So we don't exactly know the exact amount. That's why I'm being vague because back in those days, the shekel was more valuable than it is now now as we compare it to the dollar. So what they did was they weighed that and they said that you're to buy 500 shekels of myrrh. Everybody know what myrrh is? Myrrh translates at 500 shekels to $995. That's how much myrrh would cost if we were to duplicate what it's asking us to do in the scriptures. Myrrh grew on the trees. It was a gum. It was a bark like this. If you go to the next slide, you can see that this is an area where people are manufacturing myrrh from the trees and it actually grows on the bark like this and they would cut it off the bark into little chunks that you saw on the previous slide and those little chunks they would then mash into oil and that's how they got myrrh. You might know myrrh by the fact that it was brought to Jesus' feet when he was a baby. The wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was very valuable in the days of Jesus Christ. It even became more valuable from the time of Exodus where we read here till the time of the birth of Jesus. It was a very high-priced commodity. So if you look now at the next particular thing that it gives, I want to give you what myrrh does for you if you didn't know. If you were to take a little bit of myrrh, you could. it has immune support, it has analogistics, I don't even know how to say that, analgesics, yeah, whatever. It has... It it's an expectorant. Nate can tell us what this all means later on. It's an expectorant. It, it helps heal eczema. It helps heal candida. It helps with asthma. It helps with antispasmodic symptoms, symptoms, and it can heal athlete's foot. You know, if you got a foot problem, you came to the right place. <laughs> and then there's this next thing that the, that the scripture talks about. And the next one, it talks about, if you go to the next slide, Nate, that was the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Give me that next picture. Is it locked up? Oh, there it goes. It says, use sweet cinnamon. How many know what cinnamon is? How many put cinnamon on your oatmeal? 
Cinnamon, 250 shekels was half the amount. It, was, it would be, in our day and dollar today, that would be $497.50 worth of cinnamon. And the, I can't think of a better place where cinnamon is used than my favorite place to go and have cinnamon. That is, of course, Cinnabon. Hello, somebody. Now I'm preaching, right? Okay. But then, of course, you can, um, they can prepare different things with cinnamon. They like to prepare it like this. And then you can take, you know, you can go home and use cinnamon and you can prepare something like this. You get the theme? <laughs> I'm stuck on Cinnabon? No. But what actually happens is they use that sweet cinnamon and they would mix it in. So myrrh, about 12 pounds. Cinnamon, sweet cinnamon, about 6 pounds. And then they would use something called calamus. And calamus, of course, has all kinds of different properties. Cinnamon's good for gingivitis, metabolics, ulcers, cholesterol, it's a stimulant. It's, it helps you when you're exhausted. It kills germs. It prevents nausea. Calamus is a sedative as well. It's, it helps with hypotension. It helps with as a muscle relaxer. All of this stuff was put into the anointing oil. Amen? And then cassia is the last one that I wanted to mention. It grows on a tree. A lot of this stuff grows on a tree. It can have different colors as far as the flower. He said, the scripture said, get 500 shekels of that. That's $995 in our day. So in order for you to make, adding in the virgin oil, which is about somewhere around a gallon worth of virgin oil, you would have right at $3,000 just adding up the spices. It would cost $2,985. How many know that's expensive? For anointing people on the head with oil and anointing things in the house of God, just to take what was in this vessel and make it, it would cost us about $3,000. We would have to take an offering every single week just to cover the cost of the oil. Amen? That's what it was like, and that's why they had a temple offering. They had an offering where they had to give a half shekel to the tabernacle. And whether you were rich or poor, it was the same offering. You needed to give an atonement offering of a half shekel. And that covered the cost of things like this anointing oil that the priest would be anointed with and that they would anoint all the different aspects of the tabernacle. How many know that we are the tabernacle of God? Amen? And we're sanctified and sacred. And whenever you talk about something sanctified, it's set apart. So when God wants us to see what has gone into the cost of making this oil, he puts all these different spices and all these different things and, and the half gallon of, uh, or the gallon of oil that's, that's used to mix it together. And it's cost them a lot to get that together. It doesn't just cost you, you can't just run to the store like I did and buy this olive oil. They literally had to take it out of the tree and it was a large process and it was an ongoing process. It was interesting to me when I began to study for this sermon about the cost of anointing and, and how anointing oil is referenced as the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. What they had in the Old Testament in this anointing oil is the same thing to us that the Holy Spirit does for us now in the New Testament church. So when we look at what the Holy Ghost does for us, think about it. It can calm our fears. It can, it can be a sedative. It can help us with things that we have in our life spiritually, not just physically. So what the physical aspects were that benefit that they benefit from from the spices can also help us from the oil of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And what I found when they took and they processed olive oil is typically more costly than other oils due to the labor of harvesting and the methods that are used. And interestingly enough, the primary harvesting methods include milking a tree or, or hand picking the, the 
olives and, and then pressing them and, and crushing them. Has anybody here ever felt crushed or pressed before by a situation? I want you to know that that could be God beginning to draw out of you and to pull out of you through the power of his spirit a greater anointing. Amen. And so we find that they used also beating of branches with a stick. Interesting. They would just beat on the tree till olives fell. And still, the, the prevalent methods of today of, of use in, Arab, in Israeli and Arab nations and in, in the Mediterranean basin for getting olive oil is very similar to the times of Jesus Christ. They, they haven't really improved because there is really no way to improve the harvesting of the oil. And, and so 90% of existing olive orchards are in Israel, while the method has not changed very much, it's gotten a little bit faster, but if they beat the tree, it damages the tree, and if they shake the tree, it damages the tree, and even mechanically, if they take something and they shake it, it damages the tree, so they they have to do it the same way they did it in the Old Testament. Can I preach to you for a little bit? You cannot manufacture a move of the Holy Ghost. You cannot create this out of drums, out of music, or anything else like that. God wants us to not manufacture in fact, the holy oil of anointing. He wants us to process and to be in faith and in prayer the same exact way that they did in the New Testament where God's power fell and they were anointed with the Holy Ghost. We have to process the anointing oil the same exact way as they did in those days. Interesting, I found that, that the trees always grow in rocky sites. Olive oil trees like to grow where there's a lot of rocks. Your anointing grows when you get into a hard place. Amen? The anointing and, and the crushing that happens. And, and in fact, we find Jesus' ministry beginning where he changed water to wine, preached a little bit, and then he ends up in Matthew where he's preaching. It's recording in Matthew chapter 5 where he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. He starts his ministry at a place where olives grow, and he ends his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane changed, the word changed into the Greek a little bit, but whenever you look at it, it actually means gat Semini, which means that God has a gat. I'm just telling you, he, he's good. <laughs> he took the devil out. No, what actually means is that it means oil vat or place where there's a pressing. So Jesus began his ministry on the Mount of Olives where he gave the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit, you know, all of those different things in Matthew chapter five. And he ends his ministry praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me in the olive vat or the Gethsemane where he conquered and he conquered his flesh and went to the cross for us. I'm interested in finding out how I can be more anointed. But I can tell you this, that I have friends of mine who are preachers and they have preached and they have lived their life for God and all of their living and all of their doing and everything that they've accomplished has cost them almost everything in their life. The anointing that we can, that we can have in our life is going to cost you something. Now, we don't work for, for our salvation. Salvation is not of works. We understand that. But if you want God to bless and minister to your life, you have got to be willing to pay the cost. And it's interesting that God always puts the cost up front, isn't it? He always tells us that you've got to do this and you've got to do that. I'm interested to see throughout the scripture how much it costs certain things. Did you know that Solomon 
paid for things because he had obviously a lot of money through his wisdom. But did you know what Solomon's overall wealth was because he gave his his entire existence to building the tabernacle of God? He wanted to build the tabernacle of God. His wisdom was for that purpose. He wanted to seek out what God was all about. And so whenever God gave him something or asked him what he would like, he asked not for money, not for gold, not for silver, not for a nicer car, although he did buy chariots and horses from the Hittites. He got a new vehicle. I've, I figured it out. I'm, I'm kind of weird that way. He bought a horse. He imported a horse from the Hittites for 150 shekels, which is $298. He bought a chariot from the Egyptians for 600 in Second Chronicles 1, uh, 14. And so if you want to know how much it cost Solomon to get a new vehicle, it was $1,490. That was his new ride. <laughs> I know I'm crazy. I do too much studying of the Word of God. But what's funny is when when you see them tallying up the wisdom that Solomon wanted was God's wisdom. He wanted a deeper understanding of God. And when they tallied up at the end of the year, what was Solomon's wealth? It said he had 666 talents of gold in 1 Kings 10 and 14. This is not up there. But if you work that out to our day, that means that he had $287,800,000 in his piggy bank. That wasn't his assets, but he was the most valuable. He had the the most amount of money of anyone. He was the wealthiest man in the scriptures. So not only his assets were important, but everything that he had as far as money or gold in the bank, he had over almost three million. It's amazing to me what living for God and putting him first will do to bless your life. Amen. So that's what I came away with that. And so the shekel is about two bucks. There's something called a bika, which is a half a shekel, really. That's what they were supposed to bring. That's a dollar oh five. And then there's a talent, which is close to six thousand dollars. So whenever the Bible talks about whenever God handed when the, the, the servants got talents from their master and the one and the one got ten talents, now you know how much that was. That's about twelve thousand dollars. Right? Did I get that right? Ten thousand? Six times ten. You figure that out. So 60,000, I'm sorry, that'd be 60,000. So what we did was we, I began to look at the scripture and process through what it would cost for us to have a holy anointing. And I realized that when my grandparents walked into a city they didn't know, and they, they, they didn't know what they were going to do to pay for the bills, they didn't know how they were going to find a church, we're trying to do the same thing here at this point, is find a church, but guess what? The church is us. So we found the church, we just have to find a place where the church is going to meet. And they had all of those questions in their mind, and so do we. So I started looking through the scriptures and realized that the Bible talks about the holy anointing being on the priests, but in our day, it talks about it in Acts chapter 2. If you go to Acts chapter 2 and you turn there with me, you see that one of our, obviously our favorite passages of scripture to read, one that we read probably more from Pentecostal pulpits than any other any other chapter, and it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord, in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all, everyone say all, filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance, and they, the, the men there, the devout men, in, in the next verse, they, they said, everyone from every nation under heaven, and now when it was noised abroad, that the multitude came together and they were confounded because every man heard them speak in their own language and they were all amazed and marveled and said surely every man speaks in these tongues in tongues but they were they were from all over the place and they thought that they were
were just drunk. And then Peter gets up in verse number 14, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to me. For they're not, for these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day or 9 a.m., basically. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. He references Joel 2.28 and he said, it is, it shall come to pass. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. When, if I could ask the question politely, when could you ever pour out the Holy Spirit, a spirit who has no body, who is a being that is everywhere, basically, not even a being, but a spirit. John 4.24 said God is a spirit, but when God poured himself out on us, it used the word poor, and I tell you why he used the word poor, because he wanted us to get the picture of the anointing oil from Exodus chapter 30 being dumped out onto mankind. And it's not only on the vessel and the tabernacle and everything in our lives, but it also is to be dumped out or put onto the sons and the daughters and to whoever wants it. So we get over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and Peter said, this is what you need to do. You need to repent and you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and all who are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call no more is this just for the priests and no more is this just for the altar of incense and the ark of the covenant inside a veil where we can't get to it but now he's pouring out his spirit upon everybody that wants it anybody that's hungry enough to go after God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might they can find a God who's willing to saturate them with his holy anointing. And I'm grateful for the pouring out of God's spirit. Amen. Anointing of the Holy Spirit happened in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 21 where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Everyone say anointed. Me to preach the gospel to the poor. Why would you want to take the gospel to the poor? Why not take them money or clothes? Because the gospel is the good news that saves them and then you want to help them. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. You can be delivered if you're captive. Amen. And recovering of sight to the blind. I need some help in here today. Amen. The set at liberty them that are bruised. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, I have come. Jesus Christ said, I have come and I'm going to fulfill those scriptures in 1 John 2 and 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. I'm reading in ESV. No need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him or in other words the Holy Ghost will teach you what you need to know and it's good that you have a pastor but you you have to know that the Holy Spirit in you teaches you what this says helps you understand this second Corinthians 1 and 21 now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ he anointed us now he which established you us with, you can read that yourself, and hath anointed us is God. Amen? 
Amen. So we find that God saves and preserves through his anointing. Psalms 20 and 6. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He shall answer him from his heavenly sanctuary with a victorious power of his right hand. He gives victory to his anointed. Aren't you glad you're anointed? How many have received the gift of the Holy Ghost in here before? Amen. Praise God. I'm glad you raised your hand, Natalia, because you definitely you definitely were touched by God. I've, I'm... I love how God does great things in the scripture. And I found in Psalms 89, 20 through 23 that he said, I have found David, my servant, with with my holy oil. I have found David with my holy oil. I found him. The reference for us would be like, I have found Natalia with my Holy Spirit. I have found Karen with my Holy Spirit. I love how that reads. My holy oil have I anointed him. So... With whom my hand shall be established, mine arm also shall be strength, shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, or shall not come upon him. I think that's what. The, yeah, you have the same thing up there. Nor the son of wickedness afflicts him, and I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. Don't worry about the haters, amen. God's going to take care of them. Hallelujah. Isaiah sixty-one one through three says, "The spirit of the Lord." God is upon me because he hath, the Lord hath anointed me. You read, we read that already, but that was a reference in Isaiah. We anoint the sick. How many know we anoint the sick with oil? You know what that's from? James 5 and 14 says, If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let him pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Amen? It's not the oil that does the work. It's the name of the Lord that does the work. But the oil signifies the Holy Spirit. And it calls us all the way back to Exodus chapter 30. When you are sick and you need God to touch you, or maybe you're you're confused in mind, because the the Bible says, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And and the the furthering verse, if you go on to 15, Nate, for us, which I don't have reference here, it says, and... The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Shall heal the sick? No, it says shall save the sick. Because sometimes you're sick in mind. Sometimes you're sick in emotion. Sometimes you're sick in other ways than just, sometimes you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) Sometimes you need God to touch you. And so it's okay to come down when you're feeling a little off or you're feeling like, I just need more of God and get anointed. You don't have to be sick in body to come forth and be anointed because when you get anointed, you're saying, I know the cost it took for the Holy Spirit to come into my life. I knew there was a sacrifice that had to be made so that I could be anointed with oil. Only the priest should have been able to have that experience. Only the priest should have been able to live in the presence of the glory of God in the tabernacle. But now we're able to do that all together. And so if you know that, please always be willing to come and get your vessel, your tabernacle, anointed by God. Amen? Mark 6.13 says, And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. I love the scripture and the use of the scripture. But if you look in verse number 26 of what I read to you, you see that um, I don't always work with my Bible here, but I'm going to do that now. In verse number 26, you see that and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle, the congregation, and the ark of the testimony. And it's talking about the place 
where people meet. I, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever anointed your car with oil or anointed something like your, have you ever, you know, maybe it seems a little bit strange, but I, I've anointed my car before and it's run longer. And I don't know if it's just because I got lucky. Some people are like, well, it managed to keep going. I, I've anointed things that weren't supposed to start, and they started. I, I've anointed things that weren't supposed to work, and they worked. I've anointed myself. Um, I've been anointing myself every day as of the first part of the year, just praying over myself. I don't know why I'm doing this, but this is something that just started happening to me and something that came across my radar and I wanted to do. And somehow in that, whenever I anoint myself with oil and I pray over myself, I feel the Holy Ghost near me. I feel like God is touching me. And what is more important than have God touch your life, Ben? What is, what is more important than know that God is walking with you? I, I felt so saved leaving Winter Youth Convention. I felt like I was on fire for God. And you know what? And, and I, I didn't change anything. I still studied the Word. I, I still went late to church. I still, <laughs> I, they were giving me a hard time. They were calling me Grandpa because I wasn't feeling the best. And, um, and I'm try, I can't stay up after 1 o'clock, I found out. I'm 40, folks. I just don't do that anymore. They're, these guys were like 2 a.m. and they're still going, and I'm like falling over, pretending to be happy. I was pretending to be happy at 1 a.m. Sometimes, sometimes whenever you you need something from God and, and you already have a relationship with Him, it's nice to go to meetings like that because there's there's a fresh oil that comes into the. There's something fresh about the the trials and the struggles from someone's life that you never really encountered before. And, and when Brother Mark got up there, Brother Mark Brown got up there and began to preach about the struggles that he went through, there was an anointing that flowed out of him. And, and he would have never had that had he not set up in a little room with too tall a carpet with bugs all around them at night in, in South Dakota in a freezing city and nearly had their church die. But while he was going crazy, he said, clawing at the walls and, and everything that he said there, he said, there, there's something that snapped in him. And he said, I'm going to have God move. Whatever it takes, whatever is desired. David said, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul panteth after me. The, the problem is not the anointing, brothers and sisters. The problem that I brought to this pulpit to share with you today is because we don't have an appetite for the things that are anointed. We don't have a desire and a hunger to taste and see that the Lord is good. We we only go so far in our dedication in our walk and if it snows outside we can't make it to the house of God and, and I'm not speaking against anybody that's not here today but God help us if we could get so hungry that we'd walk in the snow both ways uphill barefooted to get to church. Sometimes we just have to push ourselves to a place of appetite. If, you, if you're hungry you'll eat anything. If you're hungry, you'll, they'll stick a buffalo burger in front of you and you'll take that down. If you're hungry, they'll put a skunk in front of you, cooked, I hope, and you'll eat a skunk. I don't know if you've seen this, this t 
TV thing that's going on right now. It's called, it's called, excuse the reference, Fat Men in the Woods. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but they turned it on in the, in the hotel room. I've never seen it in my life. They take these, these heavier set men and they throw them into a survival situation in the woods and they have to make their own fire and they have to make their own shelter and they have to do it by dark and, and they do it with a guide and then they all have to go and do it by themselves one night and they're all just these heavier and they trap their own food and they get this rabbit and the one guy is, is like eating this soup that they made from this rabbit and, and they're so hungry they haven't eaten in three days and he's and the one guy's like why don't you go ahead and, and suck that eyeball out of that skull it's really good and the guy does it because they're so hungry I don't know about you but I haven't been considered it appetizing to have any rabbit eyeballs lately anybody here interested in rabbit eyeballs for lunch you're going out afterwards we're gonna have some noodles maybe and could you throw in some rabbit eyeballs no none of us have an appetite for that but when you're hungry when you're starving for something you will eat absolutely anything for nourishment and that's what it's like with a new convert when they first get baptized when they do the chains fall off at the altar they lift their hands and begin to speak in other tongues as the spirit gives the ability and they repent of their sins all of a sudden they are so hungry for the things of God they get excited about Leviticus they get excited about reading through numbers the begats they will get excited about just about anything because they've never built an appetite for God but all of a sudden they've been introduced to something they've never encountered before and they're so hungry for God they will eat anything you give them so pastor's preaching about calamus and cassia and cinnamon and myrrh. And they're like, go ahead, preach, pastor. Tell me about the anointing oil. Dump it on me. I love anointing oil. They get excited. They get beside them. They're kicking chairs over. And they're running around the sanctuary where we were supposed to be quiet and reverent. But nobody seems to care because they understand they're just hungry for God like never before. If we could ever get a new convert hunger in our life, we wouldn't have to try to build something that's appetizing to give you. I wouldn't have to craft some sermon that's beautiful and polished and has all the right words. I could come up here and open my book and say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ out of Acts 2. And you say, that's my experience. That's what I love. That's what I long for. But we haven't built our appetite. So too often we have to be prompt and primed and we need somebody to tell us where to go get the food because we have no appetite. See, there's a difference in being hungry and having an appetite. You can have food all around you and not want it. Have you ever gone to the refrigerator? Maybe you do this and I'm trying to wrap it up. Have you ever gotten, you know, just a day off or whatever, you go to the refrigerator, you open the refrigerator, and you kind of stare with your head turned sideways, <laughs> and there's food in the refrigerator, but none of it looks appetizing. You don't want any of it. You're like, I don't know. What should I eat? <laughs> and you're pondering while all that good food is sitting there, but none of it looks good to you. And that's why we have to be careful because we build our own appetite. What you watch and what you hear and what you do builds your appetite of your flesh, builds your appetite even in your spirit. And so then whenever we come 
and there's food laid out at the house of God. If you've been eating junk food all week and you built your appetite around fleshly things and you've been abiding and taking in things that are, that are just pleasing the flesh, the spiritual things are in the fridge, but you're looking at it sideways going, nah, I don't think I'll go this week. Nah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'll just, let me get my schedule going here. I, I don't need to be at the altar. There is something to be said about a Holy Ghost appetite. Something to be said about appetite because appetite brings awareness. And when you feed on spiritual things, you become aware of spiritual things. And we can spend all of our time spinning our wheels. I know, I, I sound like I'm saying the same thing there, but I'm not. We can spend all of our time spinning our wheels and never truly develop an appetite for the holy anointing of God. Because when we encounter it, we've not built an appetite for it. So when we ask for the price tag, and someone said it's going to cost you being a little bit peculiar. You're going to have to be a peculiar people. You're going to have to be a royal priesthood. You're going to have to be a holy nation unto God. When we ask for the cost, it's just too high. Because we don't see anything that's appealing. Because we never built an appetite for it. Is that okay today? Would you stand with me? I know I took a long time to get off the ground. It was a big, big plane. Took a long runway. But there's a story. If you'd come, Tanya, and play, the music sure helps to encourage me to finish. <laughs> there's a story in Second Kings 5 and 10. It's, it's a tragic story. And it's of Elisha and a man called Naaman. Has anyone read this story before? And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times. Naaman was a leper. And um, he was sick, but he was wealthy. He brought with him, check this out, ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, he brought with him 10 changes of fine raiment. That's like going shopping at the mall, you know, and, and blowing like six grand. He brought a letter from the Syrian king for the Israeli king. He brought political um, harmony, an opportunity for that. And with all of that showing up, Elisha hears about it and he doesn't even go to the guy himself as wealthy and as important as Naaman was don't you think you'd show up if a guy's bringing all these gifts for you because he heard about Elisha and his ability to pray and heal people and he's coming to get healed from Elisha don't you think you'd have enough reverence for a human being to show up Elisha wanted nothing to do with someone paying for the anointing paying him to do what he did because it was holy and so he actually sends a messenger to him he says go and dip in the Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean the Jordan River was a nasty 
muddy river. He could have picked any river, but he picked the Jordan because he was testing Naaman. You have all the fineness. You have all the, you have the nice cars, the nice house. You have all of the things that everyone would want in life. But if you go and dip in that dirty river, God will heal you. And he obeyed. And when Naaman came up the seventh time, he had skin like a brand new baby. And the interesting thing to me is that Elisha respected the anointing so much that he wouldn't take any of Naaman's gifts. He said, I don't want any of that. I want none of it because it's not about that. I don't minister to be wealthy or to have all of these gifts that you brought. But his servant Gehazi ran after Naaman and asked him for a token for what he had done and what God had done. And he gave him two talents of silver and two bags. That would be the equivalent of $12,000. He sold his God out for $12,000. Look at the difference between Elijah and Gehazi. And so if you study this out, you know that Gehazi comes back and Elisha says, where have you been? He said, I've been doing this and that. And Elijah said, no, actually this is what you've been doing. And he said, the leprosy that was on Naaman will be upon you. And Gehazi, a man who used to sit around the anointing of God, who used to experience standing right next to Elijah as he prayed down healing on people, now is the one who needs to be healed. And I'm scared, and I don't know really how to end this, but it's interesting that Naaman, who was a pagan, accepted the God of Israel because Elisha wouldn't take payment, but Gehazi betrayed the God of Israel. And so I'm asking you to close here. What is your price tag? What is the price the devil would pay for you. If you build an appetite for spiritual things, my brothers and sisters, there's never a price tag. There's never enough. doesn't matter if it costs you your life. You will die for Christ. And that's what he asks us to do, but he asks us to live for him. And I want you to know that in this day and in this moment, I have asked myself that question, would I take a bullet? Would I be willing to step in front of a friend and say, no, if you're going to shoot anybody, take me. Because I know the value of life and I know the value of my friends, but what if my friends leave? Would I hold on to the anointing if my friends left? What if there's two here on a Sunday? Would I hold on to the anointing? Because if I can't hold on to the anointing with just my family meeting on Sunday, I don't deserve the anointing when we have 500 in service 10 years from now. It will happen. I guarantee it. I can see it. I so can see it. But what I'm doing right now determines my eligibility and my strength then. And what you're doing right now determines your eligibility for fresh anointing in the future. Do you want anointing on a relationship? Do you want anointing on a family? Do you want anointing in your life, in your house? Anything that you want anointing for, are you able to live for God when the when everything seems to be against you. 
And in that crushing moment, there's fresh anointing that comes. And I'm asking God to do that in every one of our lives. Would you bow your heads with me, Jesus? Would you reveal to everyone in this room the price tag the devil is toying with them with? Whatever the devil is putting in front of them right now, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a financial blessing, whether it's, Lord God, friendships that they desire more than being at the house of God, or whatever it may be. I don't know, Lord. I don't know what it is. For any one of us, I I know what the devil's tried to chase me down with, and, and I know his bag of tricks, so he hasn't been able to hinder me because the price tag you asked of me is for me to die to myself and to live for you. And whenever I'm dead to myself, I don't have a desire other than the things of God. So I'm asking you to build an appetite in every soul in this room As we walk away from this service, put a question mark in everyone's head that's in this room. What am I doing to desire more of God? And if you ask of them a great cost to give them a great anointing, would you make it understandable in their hearts and minds that the value is so much greater to walk with you, that it's so much more valuable to have you in our lives, God? and to have this anointing flow over us and to have this opportunity to be encountering you on a daily basis than to have anything this world would offer. Some of us have friends that have come and gone. Some, uh, uh, Lord God, I, I have very few of my Bible college friends that are even still living for God. But somewhere along the way, you, you put an anointing oil in my family's life and they held on to it no matter what it cost them. And I'm only here today because of that. And there's others in this room that are first-generation Pentecostals or first-generation in, in their family that have been saved and that are living for God and going after God. And I'm asking you to help them and strengthen them to stand for you whenever none of their family understands it, whenever none of their family wants to appreciate the Jesus that they serve, when they think that they're just all wound up for no reason and it doesn't take all of that. God, would you let them understand that it's from those moments of rejection that you accept us even more. It's from those times where we're alone that you give us the greatest understanding that we're really not alone because you never leave us and you never forsake us. And I pray that prayer over every soul here today in Jesus' name.